Thank you. Thank you, Miss Kathy and choir. The wonderful name of Jesus. Always lift it up and proclaim his word. If you have your Bibles, I invite you back with me to 2 Samuel. And this time we'll be in chapter 15 where we left off right before the holidays came. We wanted to do some holiday preaching and and thanking the Lord for the incarnation. And now we're back in 2 Samuel. This um, text today that we're going to deal with is um, one of the uh, texts that illustrates the necessity of what I call expo- what's called expository preaching. Preaching through books of the Bible verse by verse is my definition of that. Because it is something that you wouldn't deal with if you were just hit and miss on Sunday. If you have a pastor that gets up on Monday and says, Okay, I did this yesterday. I hope I have something by Saturday night so we don't have a Saturday night special. Uh, You're going to hit and miss. But if we go through the Word of God verse by verse, we're going to deal with everything that God has for us in His Word. And this is one of those texts that, uh, frankly, I, if, if I were a topical preacher, I wouldn't be dealing with this. First of all, because you'd be reading it and you'd say, what in the world? How are we going to get something out of this? What is this about? And also, it shows us the sufficiency of Scripture. That the Bible gives us truth that we need and all the truth we need. The Bible is a book about God reconciling the world unto Himself in Jesus. Paul told Timothy, the Scriptures make us wise unto salvation. How to be saved, what life is like as we are saved on this earth, and what is, like, what is heaven like for the saved. The whole drama of salvation, the whole purpose, plan, and possession of salvation is taught to us in Scripture, including in this text. So I invite you to, to chapter 15, and we're going to look at this text in some detail, detail as we go through it together. So let me begin. Ten years prior to the events of chapter 15, a decade before, David was in the wrong place At the wrong time, he should have been putting on the armor of God in the battlefield, but he was wearing pajamas in the bedroom. And then he got up and walked out on the balcony and looked across the way adjacent to his home, and there she was, Bathsheba. That was ten years prior way back in 2 Samuel 11, where we spent some time some months ago. And since then, in that chapter, we saw a man after God's own heart committing sin. And then after that, we saw a man after God's own heart covering his sin. And then we saw a man after God's own heart confronted by his sin. When Nathan the prophet came and said, Thou 
art the man. And then we saw a man after God's own heart conquering his sin in humble repentance. Asking God's forgiveness and repenting from his sin and God forgiving, forgiving him as God does. But since then, we have been reading and studying and considering a man after God's own heart enduring the consequences of his sin. And here we go with some more consequences. This consequence was not necessarily afflicted by him by the very hand of God, although there are some elements of that in this consequence. But is the consequence of influence when a man sins, tries to cover it up, and eventually comes to repentance, it influences others. And if those others do not see the repentance and follow after the repentance, they too are going to fall into grievous sin. And that is what happened here. And we're going to see David enduring the consequences of a sin for about 12 more years. You know, when I pray for my children, and I pray concerning their sin, and I pray concerning their mistakes that they will make, I say, Lord, spare them the mistakes and the sins of which the consequences will last for years. Because some sins, the consequences last for years, don't they? And then some sins that just last for a short time. These sins of David lasted for a generation after him and beyond. So what we see in this chapter, and you're going to pick up on it pretty quick, is the classic description of a man whose pride, narcissism, and even his anger and arrogance control him. We're going to read about a man, David's son Absalom, who was... Far from the heart of God. He wants to be king. He has already murdered his brother, his half-brother. He fled to Geshur, his mother's home in, uh, outside of Israel. And he is returned. And he is not repentant. And David deals with him, I think... I think as best he can. Some would tell you David should have embraced him more and brought him in more and been more of a father. But, but I think David realized this young man has not repented. I'm the king. I have to be just. I want to be merciful as a father. But um, I'm going to do the best I can. And Absalom's heart was set on great wickedness and David knew it. And we'll talk about that more in a few moments. He wants to be king, Absalom does. He doesn't want to share the throne with anybody. And he rebels in a very serious manner. I call this sermon the Absalom method. Because uh, this kind of person that we're about to describe, you find in every area of life, this kind of person. Prideful, arrogant, Angry, narcissistic, uh, self-centered, all the way possible. They are at work, where you work. Uh, They are at school, 
in the school. If you're a teacher, you have kids like this in your classroom, especially if you're a high school teacher. I promise you, you do. Middle school too. I don't want to leave out middle school. We've got a lot of middle school teachers. Got to make sure they're happy. But you got middle school. They're in every organization. If you've ever been a leader, you have had experiences with people like we're about to describe. They are even, I see a couple of our men out in the Gideons. They are even in the church. They could be in your home. They are everywhere you go. They're a part of society. They're a part of culture. They're a part of humanity. And so this was Absalom. And um, he brings a lot of chaos and destruction. And uh, we're going to consider the Absalom method today. By the way, the name Absalom means my father is peace. Uh, that's an interesting name. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if parents can change their name, names of their kids once they're adults, but uh, Absalom, my father, is peace, kind of uh, is a unique name. But let's read together and see how he works. We're going to look at um, chapter 15, beginning of verse 1. And it came to pass after this that Absalom prepared chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him. And Absalom rose up early and stood beside the way of the gate. And it was so that when any man that had a controversy came to the king for judgment, then Absalom called unto him and said, Of what city are you from? And he said, Thy servant is from one of the tribes of Israel. And Absalom said unto him, See, thy matters are good and right, but there's no man no deputy of the king to hear you. And Absalom said, moreover, Oh, oh, that I were made judge in the land, that every man which had any suit or cause might come unto me. I would do him justice. And it was so that when any man came nigh to him to do him obeisance, he put forth his hand and took him and kissed him. So there we see how a rebel works. How a narcissistic, arrogant pride, and I say angry, no doubt he was angry at his father, will work to get their way. Let's look at um, the Absalom method real quickly. First of all, we need to back up and we see there is exploitation. These people are experts at exploitation. Look at chapter 14, verse 33. Now, you've got to remember, Absalom has come back to Jerusalem. David holds him at bay at a distance for a long while. And finally, Absalom says, I want to see my father. So he sets the field, the barley fields of Joab, the general, on fire to get his attention. And Joab says, why did you do this? And Absalom says, because I've been here all these years and I haven't seen my father yet. And Joab sets it up. To go see his father. And David welcomes him into the palace. And this is what happens. It says, so Joab came to the king and told him when he had called for Absalom. And he came to the king and bowed himself on his face to the ground before the king. And the king kissed Absalom. That would be a symbol of saying, David saying, I'm ready to receive you. I'm ready to reconcile with you. I want to forgive you. And so Absalom 
received the kiss of the king, but he wanted more than the kiss. He wanted the kingdom. He wanted the kingdom. He wanted his father dead and gone so he could be king. And so he approaches David understanding and knowing David's situation. Absalom had murdered his half-brother. Absalom was a murderer. David the king needed to show justice. And Absalom needed to be punished. And he had shown no signs of repentance. Not even remorse or regret. But David was also a father who wanted to show mercy. And David was trapped between the two. I'm king, I have to show justice or my kingdom will fall apart. I'm a father, I have to show love and mercy and grace and and, and kindness or my home will fall apart. And Absalom exploited that. And then we also read of seduction. So notice how Absalom went away from David receiving that kiss. And um, you got to remember now, Absalom is a good-looking person. He's handsome. He's muscled up. He, I mean, he is, and he's got long, long flowing hair. I don't know what's so good-looking about that, but just long flowing hair. And uh, the rabbis said that Absalom would put silver in his hair so it glitter as he was out in the sunlight. Why don't you boys try that one day, see how that works. But I mean, it's something else. So he had that appeal. He had that physical appeal. And if you read in verses 2 through 6, he had some men, 50 men, that decided that he was worth following. And uh, they, they, they made an entourage to show great strength of chariots and horses and, and 50 men to run before him. Armed men. He seduced them. And he would go and sit in the gate of the city. Now, the gate was where they had court. Many times in the Scripture you read, sitting in the gate. Lot sat in the gate. It's where they would make decisions about cases. And and you you would be on your way to the palace, and, and a king's representative would meet you at the gate. And you would say, what's your suit? And they'd make decisions at the city gate, kind of like the city hall. And he would flatter people. And he would say, who came to seek legal advice, and he'd say, oh, your cause is just and, and, and good. But the problem, he would tell that to both sides. He, he would tell that to both sides. Tyler Cox, our city prosecutor, both sides would come. And he would say, oh, your cause is great and good. Then he would go and say, and yours is too. And they'd be fighting each other. But he seduced the people that way. What a smooth talker he must have been. And then we also see there's insinuation. He would say, oh, there's just no king. No, nobody's appointed by the king to handle this business like it ought to be handled. And he would insinuate that the current administration was uh, what it should be, what wasn't what it should be, and what wasn't what it could be. And he would insinuate um, uh, 
dissatisfaction with David and his administration. And of course, it wasn't true because David had an open-door policy. You read several times, and we read it several times since he was king, how people didn't come to the gate. They came to the palace and stated their claims, and David ruled. They came to the palace, and we, we read about that a couple of times. And Now, a couple of times they used it to trick David. Remember that? But he had an open door. You can come see me anytime, and people did. And another reason why we know it's not true is if it wasn't true, why were the people going to town to see the king anyway? And so they insinuated, and he created this deception by insinuation. Oh, he says, um, you, you are a, your cause is great, but, but there's, look, there's just nobody here who, uh, they, you know, uh, oh, if I were king, this is what I would do. I think we're going to be hearing a whole bunch of that kind of stuff coming up in 2024, don't you? I am not looking forward to it. But they don't insinuate. They just come out and say it. At least, at least they do that, amen? And then verse 5, we see another part of the Absalom method is patronization. This is, this is really something else right here in verse 5. It says... When any man came close to him to, to bow down to him and, and thank him or to, to present their case, they would come down and they would give him obeisance. They, they would treat him like he was a king. Notice what Absalom would do. And th I know this was far from Absalom's heart but, and very hypocritical, but he would patronize them. He would, verse five, uh, uh, 5 says he would take them and lift them up and give them a kiss. As if to say, oh, no, 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 don't bow down to me. You're my equal. We're, we're on the same page. You're my equal. He patronized them. You really think he thought those people were on, the, on his equal? And so he patronized them. And then verse 6 says, And on this manner... Did Absalom to all Israel that came to the king for judgment. He would head them off. And he would exploit them, seduce them, insinuate to them, and patronize them. And look what it says. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. He stole the hearts of the people all through Israel. What a fascinating Thing that is. Let me tell you something about the Absaloms where you work. The Absaloms in your school, on your basketball team, football team, in the church, in your home. David was a man after God's own heart. He was after God's heart. Absalom is after your heart. You see that? They want to steal your heart. They don't want to pursue God's heart. Therein is the bottom line of the problem. Amen. But I want you to notice something else. Verse 7. And it came to pass after 40 years. So, David, so Absalom worked 
for a number of years on stealing the hearts of Israel. Now, here is a, is a problem, but it's a good lesson. Forty years. Now, your Bible may say four years. And that could very well be accurate, that Absalom pulled the Absalom method of exploitation, seduction, insinuation, patronization for four years. That, that, we can't deny that that's a possibility for four years. But the authorized text says 40 years. The Texas Receptus says 40 years. And so some would tell you that that was a mistake, a copying mistake. Was, as, as people copied out the text of Scripture through the centuries that some copyist made a mistake and it turned to 40. And uh, it, it, it's not 40 years of David's reign because he only reigned 40 years. And it's not uh, 40 years since Absalom was born because the numbers just don't add up. So I'm going to tell you what Mike Barnett thinks because this is my pulpit. All right? I don't believe it was a copyist error. And when I say my pulpit, I'm the steward of it. I don't believe it was a copyist error because I have a firm conviction that God preserves His Word. I mean, if He, if he inspired hard-headed, imperfect people to write His Bible, His Word, there's no doubt because God, it is the breath of God, God's breathed Word, there's no doubt it's inerrant and infallible because He's inerrant and infallible. And if, he's, if it's inerrant and infallible, then it also means that it is perfect and preserved for us. It is exactly what God wants us to have. So, what I did was, is I just sat down and backtracked and uh, did the math. After 40 years, after 40 years, what? Absalom's rebellion was 40 years after David killed Goliath. I wish that the people who put in the verses might have put the first part of verse 7 with chapter 6 to say after 40 years, Absalom stole the hearts of the people because when David killed Goliath 40 years prior to this, he earned the hearts of the people. They started singing songs about him. Remember, they said, Saul has slain his thousands. David, his ten thousands. That song was on the top of the charts for 40 years. It was, it was, it was the number one for 40 years. And they sang it about David. And the people loved David. He was good. He did a lot of good things. We, 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 when we think of David, we think of two things. We think of David and Bathsheba, or we think of David and Goliath. We think of the extremes. But study Samuel, and you'll see a steady walk with the Lord. Some great lows, like we see in chapter 11. Some great highs, but in the middle is this great, constant, consistent walk of integrity and dignity before the Lord, a man pursuing the heart of God. And that started, and, and people began to notice that 40 years before 
Absalom comes to rebel. It is amazing what a lesson this is. And if you're in leadership, you need to look at this and remark, this is remarkable for us. It's amazing that one narcissistic, arrogant, prideful, devil-filled person can come in and disrupt a faithful 40-year heart of God. But it can happen. How easily people turn away. Watch out before you tear down the old ancient landmarks, my friend. Watch out. Watch out. But I could see how it would happen. Good grief. Here comes Absalom. He's, he's such a wonderful community organizer. Looks so good. Got silver in his hair. He's long hair. He's good looking. He's got 50 men with horses and chariots. Although the Bible says in Leviticus that the kings of Israel were not to acquire horses and chariots in mass number unto themselves. Because God says, I want you to rely on my power, not your power. And so David's not riding around in horses and chariots. But the people after 40 years forgot the word of God. And this guy in horses and chariots sure is impressive. And he's beautiful. David is getting old. He got a little pop belly. His hair's falling out. He's... Doesn't look like the same guy, kid, that killed Goliath 40 years ago. Something new and flashy is now on the scene. And the hearts get stolen. Amen. That's a lot of application to that, isn't there, huh? A lot of application. Oh. It does not take long for Absalom to turn peace and contentment into chaos. And, and we got to keep on reading. Look at verse 7. Um, and it came to pass after 40 years that Absalom said unto the king, I pray thee, let me go and pay my vow, which I have vowed unto the Lord in Hebron. For thy servant vowed, vowed a vow, excuse me, while I abode in Geshur in Syria, saying... If the Lord shall bring me again indeed to Jerusalem, then I will serve the Lord. And the king said unto him, Go in peace. So he arose and went to Hebron. So Absalom goes to his daddy, and, and this is obviously a lie. If it were true that he had really made a spiritual vow, that vow would be kept in Jerusalem where the house of God, the tabernacle was, where the priests were. And a second question I raised is, why did it take Absalom so long to keep his vow? He said, if I return to Jerusalem, well, he, retur he, he returned to Jerusalem some years ago, some years prior. Why, why did it take him so long to um, keep this vow? And, and, and you know, folks... He's in rebellion. He, he wants the throne. He, he wants to live for himself. He, he's not interested in what God has established. He's not going to honor his father. And he says, I've got to do this. So in his manipulative, exploiting manner, he goes to David and he couches this lie in church talk. This is church talk. 
He says, I've made a vow unto Jehovah. Dad, you can be proud of me. I've made a vow to the Lord. And I want to keep my vow, Dad, to the Lord. You know, to the Lord. And David seems to just fall for it. You would think the least the, you would think the least the next verse would say, and so David sent some spies to follow him and check on him, but he didn't. David apparently just fell for it. You know, perhaps he was hoping that his son was going to repent finally and come dirty before the Lord, admit what he had done, deal with his sin like he did, and get right with the Lord. And, and relationships and fellowship can be restored. But that wasn't the case at all. This man went, his method was exploitation, seduction, insinuation, patronization, and now it's deception. And he couches it in religious church language. Watch out for church language. It does not always indicate a sincere heart, does it? It doesn't always indicate... A sincere heart. Forty years of integrity cast away because of church talk. Wow. Isn't that something? And then, after this deception, we see the last thing. Look at verse 10. And the king, verse 9 says, And the king said, Go in peace. And so he arose and went to Hebron. He wasn't interested in going in peace. He was, bring, he was interested in breaking the kingdom up in pieces. And verse 10 says, But Absalom sent spies throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then you shall say, Absalom reigns in Hebron. Hebron is, is a symbolic place. That's where David began to rule when Saul, uh, when, when the line of Saul was, was still in Jerusalem. That's where David... Um, exercised, that was the headquarters for David's kingdom during the Civil War. This is where David was first made king of the tribe of Judah. And so it's very symbolic that Absalom would go there and he sent spies. And, and, um, and it's very interesting. And finally he strikes. He sounds the trumpet. And... The conspiracy is put to work, and the rebellion, the war begins to kill David. Finally, he strikes. The intentions of his heart are fully revealed, and many in the nations follow him. Many in the nation follow him. Listen, folks, a rebel is going to rebel. And let me just put it to you and coin a few new words here at First Baptist. A scoundrel is going to scound. And an Absalom is going to Absalomize. Just remember that. When no repentance comes for sin, and there's pride, and there's arrogance, and when somebody wants the throne of their lives for themselves, it's going to end up like this. Churchy language or no. Absalom was impressive. He was intriguing. 
He was imposing. He was impactful. He was intimidating. He was intelligent. But above all, he was illegitimate. He wasn't God's man or God's king. This is the way such people operate. How do you keep from being an Absalom? Just don't be an Absalom. You die to self. If you're saved, you die to self. Before I went to Uganda, we, had, um, we were told we were going to have over 20 people on that trip. And, and so we had meetings upon meetings in preparation to go. And every meeting, almost every meeting, our leaders... George and George Smith and David Williams and Philip Price, they'd stand up and they'd say, look, you're going to be irritated. You're going to be uncomfortable. You're going to have lack of sleep. You're going to be tired. And you're going to be um, out of your element. Therefore, you might be tempted to be irritable. You might be tempted to be on edge. You might be tempted to bite people's head off. If you have a roommate, you might be tempted to throw them out the window. I was, but I didn't. And I'm the perfect roommate. And I heard all that. You, you might be tempted to think you know more than... Those African pastors do, or we do, and we've been over there many times. George lived there for 25 years. And you might think that you can do your own thing. You might be the one that wanders off, and when the group is ready to go, we can't find you. And he talked about all the Absalom-type traits. And so I went home, and I wrote in my prayer journal every day, Lord... Keep me by your Holy Spirit's strength from being that guy. I prayed that because first of all, I know I can be that guy. And folks, you can be that guy. Because your wives told me. And your husbands told me. And these kids have told me. You've told me everything, haven't you? I want to tell you what. You can be that guy. But the way to not be an Absalom is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. To have a heart after God. And not after anybody else. Walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. But there's another factor to this we need to highlight. And that is the three groups of people that followed Absalom. That got tangled up in his web. And by the way, it doesn't end well for Absalom. You read on, you realize it doesn't end well for Absalom. But we'll get to that in a couple of weeks. But there's some three groups that followed after Absalom. So how do you keep from being an Absalom? You die to self. You give your life to Christ and say, I'm about Christ. He's king and I can't, I can't kick him off the throne. It won't end well for me and I want to serve the Lord. And, and, and I want him to guide me and lead me and I want to die to self. But how do you keep, when the Absalom pops up in church, or when the Absalom shows up in the school, or at work, at Chevron, or at Ingalls, and shows up in the office, how do you keep from being duped and following after the Absalom? Well, look at the text. 
The answer's in the text. First of all, in verse 1, we see, uh, well, actually, we see three numbers. First of all, in verse 1, we see 50 men. 50 men who followed after him. They were great men. They were mighty men. They were powerful men. But they were men who ran before his chariots, his own personal army. They were men who followed after the flesh. They loved that long hair with silver streaks. They loved that muscular body. They loved those chariots. Didn't matter what the Word of God said. Look how he looks. Look how this feels. Look look at the rush I get by being with Absalom. And so there were 50 men who followed after the sinful flesh. Romans says, yield not to the flesh. Galatians says, walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And then you read in verse 11. Look at this. When Absalom left Jerusalem to go to Hebron, the Bible says, and Absalom went to, with, and with Absalom went 200 men out of Jerusalem that were called, and they went in their simplicity, and they knew not anything. They didn't know what Absalom was up to, but it was 200 of them. These are men of the world. They have no discernment. They had no prayer. They didn't pray, should we follow after this guy? Lord, show us the heart of this man. Should we go after him? No discernment, no prayer. They ignored God's word because God's word said David is to be king. And David was still king, but they ignored God's word. And so off they follow David in their simplicity. You know what simplicity means? Stupid. Forgive me. Don't use that word at home. Empty-headed. Didn't follow good leadership or discretion at all. They were deceived. And many of them, along with the 50, would follow Absalom to their death. I believe this is the way most people are led by the devil to hell, just in their simplicity. No discernment about truth whatsoever. Just happy through life. Well, this looks good. I think I'll do this. No consultation with the scriptures whatsoever. And then we read in verse 12. And there came, I'm sorry, verse 12. And Absalom sent for Ahithophel the Gileonite, David's counselor from his city, even from Gilo, while he offered sacrifices. And the conspiracy was strong, for the people increased continually with Absalom And there came a messenger to David saying, The hearts of the men of Israel are after Absalom. And David said unto all his servants that were with him at Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee. We'll take off there next week. But listen, there was this one man. Fifty, two hundred, now one. Ahithophel, David's friend, David's counselor, Bathsheba's grandfather. Solomon's great-grandfather. This man was used and manipulated by Absalom, just like people are used and manipulated by Satan today. Why would Ahithophel be so easily swayed by Absalom? He was in the palace every day. He saw what was going on. He was there from the beginning. He knew what was going on. I think that for 10 years, This man held a grudge. Do you realize 
Ahithophel, Bathsheba's grandfather, lost two family members because of David's actions. And he held a deep-seated grudge. And now was the opportunity to get even with David, and he took it and followed Absalom. He did not follow the injunction of Scripture, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor be put away from you with all malice. And forgive as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. And he held that grudge. And we're going to see something terrible happen to Ahithophel as we proceed on. You don't want to be an Absalom, nor do you want to be taken in by the Absaloms. And so I would tell you this. Walk in the Spirit. Keep your sins confessed and be filled with the Holy Spirit and walk in the Spirit. Unlike those 50 men who followed after the flesh and what they thought was great and how good it felt. Walk according to the Scriptures, unlike those 200 men. Be a student of the Word of God so you can identify and have discernment about the Absaloms. And then thirdly, be forgiving for the sake of our Savior. Forgive others because if you don't, that grudge is going to turn to sludge and it's going to cloud your judgment and bring you to downfall. So real quickly. Don't get ready to go. Because you got to hear this. And then we're done. What are the lessons we learn about this? Well let me give you a couple. First of all. Solomon is educated. We kind of forget about Solomon. Until he shows back up again. When he becomes king. But at this time he was nine years old. So there's a nine-year-old little boy, Ahithophel's great-grandson, David's son. And he's in the palace, just playing along in life, growing up. And all of a sudden, there's a rebellion, and they come and get him in the middle of the night, and they say, we got to get out, Solomon, wake up. And they, they pick him up and carry him out. I don't know where he was in this entourage that we're going to start looking at next week, but Nine-year-old Solomon was there, viewing it all, seeing it all. How traumatic this must have been for a nine-year-old little boy. Can you imagine? But years later, Solomon would write a book when he's a middle-aged man called the Book of Proverbs. I read Proverbs every single day, corresponding with the day of the month. On the 1st of January, I read Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 10. I wonder if when Solomon wrote chapter 1 verse 10 of Proverbs, if he thought about Ahithophel, his great-grandfather, when it says, If sinners entice thee, consent thou not. I wonder if he thought about those 200 men or those 50. If sinners entice thee, consent thou not. I wonder if he might have been hiding under the desk when Absalom came into the office of the king that day and said, Dad... Um, I'm here, and David kissed him, and uh, he remembered that kiss, and in Proverbs 27, he would write, the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. I wonder if Absalom, in chapter 30, if he remembered Absalom when he wrote, or he thought about Absalom and then wrote, there is a generation that curses their father, how lofty are their eyes. I wonder if when he thought about Absalom and those men that followed after him, 
If he, when he wrote Proverbs 20, 24, he might have been thinking when he wrote, Make no friends with an angry man and with a furious man do not go. So Solomon was being educated. He was learning some lessons. Let's be careful of the lessons we teach the children by what we do. Not only that, but Absalom, another lesson we learn is Absalom will distract, impede, disrupt the purposes of God for you. They'll get you so tied up with other things. David could not maintain the peace. I'm going to tell you one question I have in all of this, and when I get to heaven, I'll ask it is, where were the Philistines? If I was a Philistine seeing what was going on, I'd say, now's the time to strike. Where were the Iranians? Let's go get them, boys. He's on the run. Where were they? You see, he was distracted from being king. And in Absalom, you got to, don't let them distract you. But one more thing. Where is Jesus in all of this? That's who you look for. If you want to understand the scripture, look for Jesus. Here, here he is. The Bible says in our text, many in Israel, many in Israel are gone after Absalom. David was rejected. Didn't we have our king one day hear many say, crucify him, crucify him, and reject him for Barabbas? David is betrayed. Ahithophel, David's chief friend and counselor because of his grudge. David would be so brokenhearted about this, he would write a couple of psalms about it, including Psalm 55. We will see Ahithophel end his life by hanging himself. Wasn't one of David's closest acquaintances and friends a betrayer? And wound up hanging himself. Wasn't there another king who had that? But I want you to look with me real quick. And then we'll close. And we preach too long. I want you to look at verse 23. It says. And all the country wept with a loud voice. And all the people passed over. The king also himself passed over the brook Kidron, and all the people passed over toward the way of the wilderness. Skip down to verse 30. And David went up by the ascent of Mount Olivet. We're going to talk more about this next week. But, and he wept as he went up and had his head covered, and he went barefoot. And all the people that was with him covered every man his head, and they went up weeping as they went. And then skip down to verse 32. And it came to pass... That when David was come to the top of the mount, Mount of Olives, where he worshipped God. He wrote some of his great psalms this night. And he worshipped God. David leaves Jerusalem, crosses the Kidron Brook, ascends up to the Mount of Olives in worship. Don't we have a king that we serve who the night he was rejected crossed over the Kidron Brook, ascended up to the Mount of Olives and wept and worshipped and said... Lord, not my will, but thine be done.
Jesus is everywhere in the book. Dear friend, you don't have to be an Absalom. You can know Jesus and surrender to him the king. Let me, let me share something with you. It sure does feel good to be an Absalom. But we're going to notice that it doesn't last long. And uh, if you've given up and repented from being Absalom, you also know this. It sure is easier not being one. It sure is easier just to serve God's king and be faithful to God's king. And I pray you are. You don't have to be an Absalom. And you don't have to be duped by an Absalom. And so the invitation is this. If you want to surrender from your pride and your narcissism and your self-centered ways where you want to be king and you want to surrender to the lordship of Christ and you realize it brings death if you don't, as it will with Absalom, you can come forward and we'll help you in that decision for Christ today and you can be saved. Maybe you're following an Absalom and you need to make some quick decisions about your friends. You guys need to make some quick decisions about your friends. You, all of us. And you need to realize where you are in certain positions and stands you're taking and say, uh-oh, this isn't of God. It's of the flesh. It's of the world or it's of the devil. And I need to stay with King Jesus. You might have to leave Jerusalem. You might have to be out in the wilderness for a while. But I want to tell you something. David's king. He's going to stay king. Jesus is king and he's going to stay king. Let's all stand for our song of appeal.